empty me itself. Yes. Fill me with your spirit. Lord, I give you full control. And I just ask that you take editorial control of everything I say. Let it be yours. Let you speak through me that you might be seen. Lord, when it's all said and done, I sit down. Any praise and any glory, let it go to Calvary. Let it go to you. That we might lift your name up rightful place. But we just ask your blessing at this time. In Christ's name we pray. job today. Amen. They had backup plans. We had some mic issues, but they're handling their business. I thank them for getting me set. I thank Choir for their number and Sister Mo. I mean, I feel like, you know, I, I can sit down. I don't even know if I'm necessary. I mean, we, basically, part of my sermon was preached this morning in the health nug nugget. Amen. Sister, Sister Wallace. We're going into 1 Corinthians 13 for me, a little bit in advance of what we're going to get into. I thank you for that. And we have sermon from Mo, so I don't know that I'm really needed up here. But we can thank her for that, and I wish her happy birthday when she stepped out. Um, but I also realized that she's not the only one that had a birthday recently. Amen. I got to recognize my wife had her birthday this week, and so I... Special to me. I make sure I know a lot of November birthdays. November 9th is her birthday. And actually, that's a day for a number of people. I know that I know this is Lorraine Parson, I believe it was the 9th. And back in the back, Sister, yes, I see. <laughs> it's November 9th also. Sister Dira. So there's some special people on the 9th. But, so I got one of them, though. And I want to thank you all. It's good to Amen. see so many out. Hey, I'm glad to see you. my good friend Roy is out here. Good to see you. Amen. Roy and I go way back to singing in Voice of Legacy with Mary Cobb. <laughs> Tenors working on their note, getting taking abuse <laughs> from Mary. But yeah, that's an inside joke for those who know Mary. Uh, but it's good to see you out there. And uh, just good to see everybody, Brother Roy. Ward back. Good to see you. And, and the Williams. Thank you. Good to see you. Good to see you. I, uh, I'll take the time to get to talk about our sermon today. Our topic is elementary love. So let's see. I want to start by. Oh, I don't need this. <laughs> I want to. I'm not used to having this cordless. Well, we'll see how this goes. Um, I want to start by reading something. There was a book 
by a man named Robert Fulgram. And it's gonna have to bear with me today. I was uh, kind of down part of the week with the cold, so still not quite over. But uh, I'm asking, I know the Lord's gonna bless, it's gonna sustain Amen. me, so just bear with me. Uh, Robert Fulgram, he's a author and a minister, pastor. He wrote a book, which is basically a compilation of short essays. But the name of the book is, All I Really Need to Know, I Learned in Kindergarten. And like I said, there's a lot of different essays, but the first, the titles come from the first essay. All I Really Need to Know, I Learned in Kindergarten. And that's gonna be a starting point. Let me read that for you and just think about this. All I Really Need to Know, I Learned in Kindergarten. All I Really Need to Know about how to live and what to do, and how to be, I learned in kindergarten. Wisdom was not at the top of the graduate school mountain, but there in the sand pile at Sunday school. These are the things I learned. Share everything, play fair, don't hit people, put things back where you found them, clean up your own mess, don't take things that aren't yours, say you're sorry when you hurt somebody, Wash your hands before you eat. Flush. Warm cookies and cold milk are good for you. Live a balanced life. Learn some and think some, and draw and paint and sing and dance and play and work some every day. Take a nap every afternoon. When you go out into the world, watch out for traffic, hold hands, and stick together. Be aware of wonder. Remember the little seed and the styrofoam cup? The roots go down and the plant goes up and nobody really knows how or why, but we are all like that. Goldfish and hamsters and white mice and even the little seed in the styrofoam cup, they all die. So do we. And then remember the Dick and Jane books. And the first word you learned, the biggest word of all, look. Everything you need to know is in there somewhere. The golden rule and love and basic sanitation, ecology and politics, and, and equality and sane living. Take any of these items and extrapolate it into sophisticated adult terms and apply it to your family life or your work or your government or your world and it holds true and clear and firm. Think what a better world it would be if all all the world had cookies and milk about three o'clock every afternoon and then laid down with our blankies to take a nap. <laughs> or if all government had basic policies to always put things back where they found them and to clean up their own mess. And it is still true, no matter how old you are, when you go out into the world, it's best to hold hands and stick together. Amen. So, everything, all I need to know, I learned in kindergarten. You know, that uh, little thing, some, thing, some people like to look at stuff from a different perspective. And we get old and we think we have accomplished or achieved something and we forget about basic, elementary, simple things. You know, uh, we realize that teachers are some of our greatest resources and it ones who teach the young really have great responsibility. Uh, they're the ones setting foundations, and, and foundational things are important. 
You know, the, the beauty of simple truths. You know what the true beauty of simple truths are? Their understandability. Their fact that they are universal. That's the true beauty of simple truths that we can all relate. We can all understand. We know exactly what is being said. You don't have to do a whole lot of head scratching when you're dealing with some basic simple truths. So that's kind of what, that's how you deal with elementary. You know how elementary teachers, I keep looking over Sister Williams, I know she taught elementary, kindergarten, excuse me, and, and young children. Um, basic truths, the beauty of simple truths. Now that's really how Jesus taught too. He was an effective and efficient communicator. He, his words got across, we understood. Nobody simplified things like Jesus. Jesus presented spiritual truths in simplistic, understandable manners. He used parables, and he used them to illustrate things that people could understand. He talked about a field, they were farmers. Everybody understood what he meant in, in his parables. He gave us the golden rule and the beatitudes. These are some life-guiding materials presented so simply and plain that sometimes now we don't even realize how significant they are. A lot of times we tend to minimize things that appear simplistic. But you know, when we do that, we have a tendency to miss out some deep spiritual benefits and blessings. We don't see the depths in it when, because we're looking at the surface. We're just seeing things at a surface appearance and we don't have any desire to look beneath or to go deeper. You know, when we talk about the golden rule and the Beatitudes, you know, there's so much that can be mined from those things if only we had an interest in mining for spiritual truths. You know, I realized that the Beatitudes were recently, well, I, recently, within, I think, the last year, was a focus of study in prayer meeting. You know, they, every week going, different week going through the Beatitudes. Now, I have to admit that I haven't been to prayer meeting in a little while. And so when I think about that, I say, have mercy, Lord. Uh, but how about you? When was the last time you were at a prayer meeting? And you need to say, have mercy, Lord, right? <laughs> because I'm not alone here. So, but you know, we look at things and, and we realize that there are things to learn even from the simple truths. We can delve into things and gain insight that we sometimes just don't really realize or think is there until you start digging, until you go beneath the surface. So we're talking about elementary love is our title, you know, and we talked about learning as a child learns or what you learn in kindergarten. The Bible talks a lot about being childlike. It talks about being immature and mature, spiritual babes, spiritual adulthood. We're going to talk a little bit about some of these terms in a spiritual context. Now Jesus, if we turn to Matthew 18, Verse 2, let me get that out. Jesus specifically says about being like a child. Matthew 18. Let me read here. And he called a little child to him and had him stand among them. And he said, I will tell you the truth. Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Amen. So, Jesus specifically mentioned being like a little child. 
Now, there's a difference between childlike and childish. Childlike, the characteristics of a child versus the mannerisms of a child. And when we look at that, uh, conversely, that's just talking about character and, and mannerisms, not even talking about child intellect. Because we know that ch children actually learn a lot quickly. They absorb, they take in so much. They're like sponges when they can get an environment and learning. Sometimes we need to, you know, as far as languages, I know that they can learn so much as a young child just picking up language and they'll learn it without, a, without necessarily books or anything. And we get old and I know I'm struggling. I'm still saying, I'm gonna work on my Spanish. It's coming, it's coming. But I, you know, I wish I had that ability to just take it in like, like the children do. But you know, they're very, they have minds. God has blessed everyone with, with minds that have the ability to just absorb things as they have to experience it. And that's what children do. But when we talk about child, what God was talking about being childlike is just about, when we think about, a when we think about children, what is the, one of the key characteristics of childlike uh, action that God was referring to? It was, I would say, trust. Childlike trust. You know, little children, little child knows they're getting, they're, they're trusting their parents completely, completely. You know, they know that their children will provide and supply their need. They cry, they know that their parent will pick them up. They trust completely. You know, children have that, young children have that ability to completely trust in their parents to provide. How about us? Do we trust our Father to provide, completely trust our Father to provide? You know, there's an aspect of children that as they grow, they tend to want to show their independence. They want to uh, start making their own decisions. They want to do their own thing, or at least to show to their parents that, hey, I can do certain things. Now, that's normal that children grow. From a spiritual Christian perspective, this can be problematic, dangerous even at times. Insisting upon our independence from who? Our Heavenly Father to show I can do it my way? That puts you in dangerous territory, I would say. You know, insistence on my opinion, what it shows, it shows kind of a lack of trust. You know, and it's not so much even saying that God can't provide, but sometimes we say, God can't provide what I want the way I wanted. And that's why we insist on our way instead of the way God wants to lead us. You know, we have to sometimes think about, are we truly fully trusting like a child, our Father, our Heavenly Father? You know, the Apostle Paul talks a lot about spiritual maturity and the stages of spiritual maturity and development. You know, 1 Corinthians 13, 11 comes to mind when he talks about when I was a child, I spake as a child, but as I became a man, I put away childish things. You know, I recently heard a sermon based on Hebrews 6, and you might want to turn there. 
We'll be addressing that briefly. In fact, let's turn there now. Hebrews, is, the sermon was talked about Hebrews 6, where Paul talks about moving beyond elementary teachings and going into maturity. Now, that, that raised some questions. Excuse me here. And let me read what Paul says in Hebrews chapter 6. He says, Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go into maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and the faith of God, instructions about baptism, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment, and permitting, and God permitting, we will do so. Now, his sermon started off like this and said, it made me think about Paul calling elementary teachings about Jesus and then listing on some of these foundational things that we as Adventists hold so dearly and, and spend times even in seminars and lots of study on, Paul's calling elementary. It's a head scratcher for sure about what Paul is saying here. Um, but when, he, when we look at this, I keep thinking to myself, I said, I want to keep a couple things in mind. First off, we say elementary. Elementary can be a relative term. Right. You know, when you talk about elementary, remember Sherlock Holmes? Anyone remember that character uh, that, and his partner Watson? And he was this great mind that solved crimes, and at the end of every crime, he was, you know, this partner would say, how did you do that? And he would say, or oh, elementary Watson. You know, but to Watson, it wasn't elementary, <laughs> you know. You know, I would think that when we talk about elementary math, uh, to Einstein, Albert Einstein might have a different definition of elementary math than I would, <laughs> you know, because I'm thinking elementary math taking me back to fifth and sixth grade. That's about where I get, that's in my comfort zone. <laughs> I get too much beyond that. And my wife always, when our kids are doing their homework as they were coming up, and they had their math. She's like, go to your father. I'm like, we're in the same math class. And, and you got better grades. <laughs> Why are you sending them to me? I don't, I don't know. But she does that. Because she doesn't, you know, she doesn't really want to. Because what I have to do then is, OK, let's open the book. And I'm saying, OK, let me see if I can remember and review. And they don't come to me anymore. <laughs> so they, don't, they don't need to come to me. But, but you know, that's elementary can be a relative term. And also remember the writer. Each Bible writer has their writing style. Each Bible writer had their own personal teaching style. And it's based upon their background. We're talking about Paul. Paul came from a scholarly background. Paul was trained as a Pharisee. He was well-traveled and well-versed in many academic areas. You know, he could discuss philosophy with the Greeks because he was familiar with Greek and Roman philosophy. So he, had, he came from that academic background. And he was one to eager for knowledge and advancement of knowledge. And he was eager to encourage that in others. So we have to keep in mind uh, when we talk about what it talks in the Bible about elementary and what's beyond elementary, that we keep things fairly aware of the relativeness of some of these things. Uh, but let's talk about how we can grow spiritually, how we can attain spiritual advancement. Amen. You know, it's something about, because the sermon went on to talk about how 
referencing the sermon of, that I recently heard based on Hebrews 6. How about, yeah, we need to get beyond some things. We need to stop uh, staying where we're at and just moving forward, moving and advancing into other things because we're t- spending a lot of times on elementary issues. And, but it was coming to me as saying, you know, how do we advance? You know, if I'm in fourth grade, and I say I finished the year in fourth grade, even though I may want to, I can't say, well, next year I'm walking into high school. You know, it just really doesn't work quite like that. You can't just say, because I desire, I'm gonna be here, I'm gonna put myself there. You know, there's certain things, there's procedures, there's processes. You know, we have to look at advancement as how do we grow in advance? You know, in school, you have to deal with a teacher, correct? And have to sort of work with your teacher. Well, in spiritual advancement, who is our teacher? Why don't we turn to John 16, John chapter 16, verse 13. Okay. Let me read to you. And I'm reading from NIV version. He says, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. And also, look at chapter 14. Go back a couple pages. Chapter 14, verses 16. He said, and I will, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. So the Holy Spirit is, is a guide. He's an instructor. He's a counselor. He is a teacher. In fact, I would like to say in this sermon, we'll consider him not only a teacher, our instructor, our professor. Call him Professor Holy Ghost. That's who our teacher is. And so we have to work with our teacher as we advance. Amen. You know, you just don't say, okay, I'm through with this, I'm moving on. You know, there's certain things as showing that you've accomplished something, you've gained a certain proficiency before you move on. You know, they give you degrees of diploma that says, hey, you were proven yourself capable in this area at this level. Uh, so we kind of, sometimes people get held back in school because they haven't shown proficiency. We need to be able to demonstrate competency and proficiency in areas in order to advance to the next level. Now, I won't necessarily say that we have to show that we master a subject matter because in the spiritual realm, mastering something sometimes is, is a little much, maybe beyond the scope of what human limitations allow us to do. But we should be able to show competency and proficiency in certain areas. And then I think when we talk about John 16, 13, he said he will lead you into all truth. I get the feeling the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is not wanting to hold you back. Doesn't have a desire to keep you on the elementary level. But he's desiring to teach you and lead you on but he's also trying to work with you to, sh- to get the competency at the basic level. You don't want to go into college algebra and you haven't gone past fourth grade math. No. 
you are going to be in bad shape. You need to show that you can show competency as you progress in each level. So when we talk about elementary issues, elementary love, let's talk about keeping that in mind about how the Spirit, Holy Spirit will instruct us and show us that we've shown competency and proficiency in certain levels before we move on. Let's look at the, the whole thing of love, the subject of love. Love is one of the most basic spiritual truths there is. But it's also I was just one that we don't fully understand. You know, we all are familiar with the term love. We know it. But I'm, I'm going to suggest to you that we cannot fully comprehend God's love. Because it's different for a number of reasons, different from our concept of love. First off, the human mind can only handle so much. We are finite creatures. And as finite creatures, we have a hard time with concepts on an infinite level. You know, you look at math, you talk about the number line, and you can go on and on, add one. And that's, you know, okay, I believe that, yeah, but, you know, we're just used to everything having a beginning, everything has an end. That's, that's our world, that's what we're familiar with. And so, Wrapping your mind sometimes around the concept of infinity is difficult. And let me tell you, God's love is truly infinite. Amen. You know, it, it goes on and on. So because of that, because of our human mind, and also secondarily because human vocabulary is limited, you know, it, it's hard for us to communicate and to understand or that words that we can deal with, how to deal with God's love, how to fully understand and, and accept the full impact of God's love. You know, there's tons of different words. You know, you go through the thesaurus, there's a lot of different words for certain things. And in the English language, there may have different me words that have different meanings. You know, I know that, like I said, I'm, I'm working on my Spanish. I want to work on my Spanish. I know they have different words for, that say the same thing, but just based on the context, you would use this or you use that. Um, so words have different meanings, that, but even if we used the most beautiful language, using the most glorious words, we would still only have a glimpse of God's true love for us. Because we can't put it into words. God's love is so beyond what we can, what we know, or what we can express. But God loves us so much that he's tried through the ages to convey his love to us. Ever since the appearance of sin in this earth, God has tried various methods and means to get the message of his love across to his children. You know, everything from the sacrificial system, you know, the deliverance of the children of Israel from Egypt, the guidance and the leadership provided all throughout the time of their going into bondage and out of bondage through judges, prophets, and kings, all of that. God's trying to show, I love you. God had the whole ministry of Hosea to express this, uh, the illustration of his love. How, go after this woman that doesn't really care about you, that's going to be unfaithful to you. Let me show you how I feel, how, how my love is, a demonstration of how my relationship with you has, has been, how you have ignored me, gone off and do your thing. 
God has tried all different ways to convey his love to us. You know, but it got to the point that we still had difficulty fully grasping that. Because, like I said, we, the children of Israel would be, oh, yes, Lord, for a while, and then turn back to doing their thing, insisting for their independence, trying to show their so-called maturity, wanting to do their thing. God got to the point where the, only, the best thing he could do, his son came down here and lived a life to show us love. To, he lived the love in front of us. He lived it in front of us, and he died all to show his love. He modeled love for us while he was here. But, you know, we still have sometimes a hard time grasping the concept of elementary love. For a number of reasons, and let's, let's for example, let's look at 2 Corinthians 5.14. Turn with me there. Second Corinthians. Oh my goodness. Okay. 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 Second Corinthians five fourteen. Now, I'm going to actually just show it as it's not in this translation, but the love of God constraineth us. That's as far as we're going to go. The love of God constraineth us. What does that mean? When we're talking about concept of love, what is God trying to say? Does that mean God's love ties us down? Does God's love have us on lockdown? You know, is it just terminology? But what, let's look at something, because God gave the institution of marriage to us, to the human race, and he uses it to convey the love relationship he wants to have with his creation. So in light of a marriage context, is God saying, is Paul saying God's love is like a ball and chain that ties us down, that sort of keeps us from doing what we want to do? You know, when we talk about marriage, young single people, they like to talk about how they're not tied down. I'm free. You know, I, I got no chain tying me, no, no strings attached. I'm a free agent. Well, you know, and they used to throw up that in the face of some of the married guys who, you know, are calling in, checking with their wives, that type of stuff. But, you know, when they talk about free agent, what, what are they really saying? Well, you know, what to me, what they're really saying is, I don't have anything. <laughs> you know, I'm a free agent. You don't have nothing. <laughs> What's a, a free agent doesn't get paid until he signs a contract with somebody. Right? You have to make some type of agreement with something. Until then, you buy, you're nothing. You got nothing. So all these people talking about, I'm afraid, you got nothing. Okay, let's, let's be honest. Now, <laughs> the love of God, as opposed to having nothing, the love of God is something. The love of God is tangible, something you can hold, and something that will hold you. Just like in a marriage, you got somebody that you can hold and that will hold you. Now, God's love does not make us impact, nor is it abusive, but his love envelops us. It surrounds us. 
We are wrapped up in his love. So we're not alone blowing in the wind. We have something that's holding us. When we're talking about God's love constrains us, consider God's love holds us. Do you like being held? Would you appreciate being held? God wants to hold. That's what God's love keeps us and holds us. That's, you know, we look at love, we got to open our mind to certain things of what God is really trying to get across to us about how he wants to relate to us. You know, to experience that loving hold, you got to have somebody, right? You got to have somebody to hold you, somebody you can hold. You got to have a love connection. And who's, who do you have the love connection with in the spiritual sense? You got to have it with Christ. If you want love, Christ is the source of love. Love comes from God. So if you don't have that love connection, then yeah, you're back to being a free agent. You know, you don't have nothing. But God wants you to experience that hold. God wants you to experience that love connection. So how is God's love expressed? Well, now we're getting back to kind of areas we talked about in our scripture reading. So let's turn to uh, 1 John. Now, our scripture reading was found in 1 John chapter 4. But let's actually start 1 John chapter 3. And I want to read verse 11. A couple of verses there, verses 11 and 16. I'm reading, this is the message you've heard from the beginning. We should love one another. So we're saying, this is not necessarily new. This is ancient concept. From the beginning, we should love one another. That's showing how we are to express God's love. Let's look at verse 16. It says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. That's talking about the love that God has is a sacrificial love. It's the love that's giving, even to the point of laying down your life. And he's calling us to show that as we want to express God's love. These are ways God's saying we should be expressing it. Let's turn over to chapter 4 and verses, back to our scripture in verse 7. It says, dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Look Look at verse 11. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Now, I love that verse. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us. You know, we talk about expressing love, but sometimes, as believers, it just seems like it's, we're not seeing that expression. It's a hard thing sometimes to express love like it's showing here, loving one another. Why is that? You know, I think 
Part of the, the reason is, I think we have a problem with that concept or definition of love, is because we're using our own reference material to define love. You know, we have, we're not turning to where we should. We talk about how we define love, we're using the dictionary of TV and movies to define love. We re use the reference of what's playing on our iPod to define love. The songs of love there is what love is all about, right? Or we access the software of cultural and societal norms to define love. You know, what's going on in society around me? What are they doing, you know, in San Francisco? What are they doing, you know, what's the young people doing? What is going on in the context of the world around us? That's how we define love sometimes. And we're looking at different reference sources for our definition instead of turning to God's reference book, which is the Bible. The source of the definition for divine love is defined in his book. You know, we've got to turn to the right source to gain a knowledge of love. And, and once we do that, then we're going to start growing and gain a concept of this elementary subject of love. Because we need to do a better job on this elementary subject of love in this church. You know, Ellen White wrote, if we had more love, there would be 100 converts where there's now only one. You know, that's a profound statement. She did not say if we focus more on the three Ds, when I say the three Ds, doctrine, diet, and dress, didn't say any of those. Didn't say focus on any one of those is going to make a significant difference. Now, that's not to say there's anything wrong with those items. Doctrine, we stand on the doctrine. We, we have something that we know to be truth, and we believe it. Diet, is, these are all important. Dress, important. They have their significance. But there's only one thing that's going to make the greatest significance in our relationship, and that's love. That is love. I want to ask you, look around you. Look around the sanctuary. See the seats? Can you imagine what it would be like around here if our conversions were 100 times what they are now? Well. This place would be packed. We'd be looking for another building. And now, I have to admit, it hasn't always been like this. Some of you out here remember when this place was packed. People come and go. But you know, the truth is, people generally don't leave the church over doctrine. You know, most of the time, they're not saying, those doggone Adventists, they got it all wrong. They really don't know what the Bible says at all. They don't say that, because they know we're people of the Bible. Uh, we can't blame empty chairs on doctrine. I have a word for you, though. You need to know that love draws and love keeps, you know. So what we need to do, what can we do? What we need to do is we need to keep our eye, keep our focus on our example. I said Jesus came to model love for us. Jesus is our example. We look to him to see how we need to act. We look to him to see how we need to interact with others. 
As we look at Jesus, we see that love kept him in his actions. Love dominated every action that was based on love. It kept him humble and enabled him to focus on the needs of others. Look at how it related to others. Every interaction was, about, was based on love. Now, he occasionally had harsh words for the Pharisees and the religious leaders because they were stubborn in their self-righteousness, holding on to their rituals and traditions. But he never had a harsh word for a true seeker. Somebody was earnest, he didn't have harsh words for them. His words were loving. His words were kind because he knew their heart. If we are following John's advice in 1 John and we're following Jesus' example, there will be some significant changes around here. You would see and feel a difference. It will be noticeable when you come in the church door. You know, the pastor, the Bible workers, everyone's doing their part. Many members are out sharing the gospel, having study groups. People are out there sharing the, gospel, the wonderful news of God's return with others. And it's having an effect. You know, new believers are coming in. But now that becomes a challenge. You know, it's like, say someone comes in the front door and they're welcomed. They're welcomed by the pastor. They're welcomed by the members. And it's like you're welcoming somebody. Welcome, come on in. And each person along the line, a loving church, welcome, welcome, glad to have you. Come on in, come on in. All the way through the church. But then it gets to the point where towards the end of the line, there's a person at the end of the line saying, okay, right this way, opening the back door, kicking them out, <laughs> slamming the door and saying, okay, who's next? You know, not to say that anybody's intentionally trying to be mean or harsh, but sometimes we're not showing that we have the love connection and that's how, how our contacts can go sometimes. You know, I'm not talking about any one person. We all need to look to see how are we in relation to, are we showing forth God's love? Are we doing our part to displaying God's love? You know, we need to look at ourselves. And we need to say, you know, am I being an aid or an obstacle? You know, am I aiding God's work or am I an obstacle to God's work? Amen. And it, you need to make sure that you, you do not usher out what God ushered in. Amen. That is something you want to make sure you do not do. We like to talk about sometimes church as a hospital. How they come in here for healing. And there's some good analogies there, but we have to be careful because we need to know, let people do the care that need to do the care. You wouldn't want somebody coming into your hospital room pulling an IV tray with a hospital gown on that's tied up in the back with a needle saying, okay, I'm gonna give you your medicine now. You wouldn't want that, <laughs> you know? So I don't know, sometimes we try to overstep our responsibility, but we need to realize that even in this analogy, I think the better analogy is not necessarily hospital, but more like a support group, like a recovery program, AAA, uh, AA or something like that, where everybody there have an issue with some addiction, the addiction of sin. We're all struggling with that. Everybody in here has a sin issue. 
we're addicted to sin, but we're at, you know, we're at various stages and levels of recovery. Thanks to God, thanks to the work of the Holy Ghost in us. You know, we pray that in a support group, you're there for your brother. You're there for that other person. Somebody's having an issue, they can call you. That's how a support group works. You have an accountability, somebody that says, okay, brother, put down that pork chop. You know, you have to call somebody. Call me next time when you feel that urge. That's the support we should be having one for another, that we can lean on one another, we can be there for somebody else, that we can show forth God's love. Now, <clears throat> we have a special opportunity next week to put love into practice. Real love, heaven-defined love. Now, don't get me wrong, God gives us every opportunity every single day to put love into practice. But especially next week, we have a special opportunity as a collective body of believers to put love, God's love into practice. We want to see, as people come into our doors, that we have a true love connection going on, that we have that connection with the source of love, because it will flow and it will be on display. John 13, 5, 13, 35, excuse me, John 13, 35, the text that we want to look at because the, old, the song says, they will know that we are Christians by our love. Let's look at John. If I can get there. Yes. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Those are God's words. Those are God's words, not mine. So they will know that we're Christians by our love that we show one to another. If we're following Jesus' example and we consider ourselves servants of Jesus, it will show as we become servants of men. If we are true disciples of Jesus, we will let that principle of WWJD guide our lives. Now, I know there's a lot of people that consider that a simplistic elementary and too simplistic to be practical, but, you know, isn't that what a disciple is all about? How we're supposed to think of what would Jesus do? You know, and if you find yourself in a situation where you don't know the answer to a what would Jesus do question, then ask him. Maybe you get on your knees and ask. But I'm sure he will reveal that. The Holy Spirit wants to let you know how you, how you handle each and everything. He's not leaving you alone. You're not left alone. Turn to your reference material, and you'll get your answer. But <clears throat> never be afraid to show real love. Our example, Jesus was not. Jesus didn't worry about some of the things that we tend to worry about or that we trip over. You know, Jesus didn't say, hmm, or we sometimes think, if I show myself or show myself loving in this situation at work with the... With, with my boss, they're going to think I'm soft. Or if I've shown myself loving around the guys, they're going to think I'm weak. Jesus didn't worry about those things, about what other people thought. He's displayed genuine love because that's what was in him. You know, I heard a sermon not too long ago, a month ago, by 
uh, with Pastor Hyveth Williams speaking. And, you know, she's female pastor, one of the first black ordained ministers. And she was talking about how, you know, she sometimes gets a lot of negative commentary. And especially now you got things like uh, Facebook and YouTube, and you can see messages all around the world. And everyone now has the opportunity to put their criti criticism on there. Everybody gets to be a critic now because of computer technology. And she said she was seeing some of this stuff and she was just getting depressed. And she had said, she talked to God, God, why are you letting them talk about me? Why are, you, why are people being so mean? Why are you letting them say such things to me? Aren't I your servant? You know, God, they're ruining my reputation. And she said, the response she got, God spoke to her and said, what reputation? Do you remember where you were when I picked you up? Where I found you? What are you talking about reputation? And he said, and beyond that, they talked about me. So you think, why should you be worried about your reputation when they talked about me? They talked about God being someone who ate and drank with sinners, and if he knew who they were, he wouldn't be with them. Did that stop God from showing love to those around them, to those sinners, to those outcasts of society? No, he didn't let the concern to those around him stop him. He didn't care about what they thought about what his so-called reputation in this earth would be. He, he had that connection, that love connection that led him to show love to everyone he came in contact with. <clears throat> so how do we have that same love Jesus had? Well, we do it by keeping our focus on Jesus, our example, and by keeping our connection with him through the working of the Holy Spirit. So we know that the Bible says God is love, right? I mean, the Bible says we saw that John told us that in 1 John. But when we, God is love. That means God the Father is love? Yeah. Well, that means God the Son is love? Jesus is love? That means the Holy Spirit is love? Amen. Yes. God, all three are God, so all three are love. God is love. All three. So, Going back to Paul, the one who talked about growing beyond the elementary teachings, but it turns out he's the one that gives the best description of love. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 13. And as you heard even from the health nugget, uh, 1 Corinthians 13 is often known as the love chapter. Now, Paul hit it right on the nail on the head on this one when we're talking about description of love. And what I want to look at right now is verses 4 through 8. At least at 4 through 8, the first part. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always preserves. Love never fails. You know, that is essentially a great description of Jesus, of God. God is, each of God, if we just change, God is loving. God is patient. God is kind. God is not envious. We could go through each one of those and put God's name in there, and it would fit. 
because God is love. The question is, if, can we put ourselves in there yet? Are we able to do that? That may be more of a challenge. Because love never fails. God never fails. So we need to keep that love connection until we get to the point where we can see we put our name in there. But that is a perfect description of, of God and Jesus in his ministry. You know, Sister White also says that we should spend every day some time daily contemplating the life of Christ. Amen. If we spent time contemplating the life of Christ, we would see love in action from the pages of the Bible. It would get into our mind and it would flow out. Amen. You know, it's also said that we could spend time every day reading at least 1 Corinthians 13. Just reading that every day. The concept of love, driving it home. Driving it home. But let's look at the first three verses of this church, uh, this chapter. 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I'm a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have a faith that can move mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give all my possessions to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. That's heavy to me. Now, when I look at that, so what are we saying? You know, um, Paul is saying it doesn't matter how talented I am, how intelligent I am, how impressive I can be, how smooth I may be to others. If I don't have love, it's meaningless. It has no value. So how do we respond? Does that mean that then I don't need to worry about my skills and my abilities? I don't need to try even to develop myself in those areas. No, that's not what Paul is saying. We're telling you hone your skills, work your talents, but work your love more. Focus on the love as much or more than any ability you've been given. Focus on developing your love. Develop your skills, develop your love even more. That's, <clears throat> so we need to, to develop, in that development, we need to let Professor Holy Ghost lead you. Amen. Help him to work with you, and you will grow, show your competency on these elementary levels. You show, you'll be showing that you're fully competent as the Holy Spirit works with you, and you will find yourself showing forth God's love. And as the Holy Spirit works, you'll see so many other amazing truths that he wants to bring you. He wants to bring you to all truth. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. As you let him work, don't be resistant. Let the Spirit work. Work with the Holy Spirit. He wants to bring you through, showing you, showing forth God's love through you to others. Now, <clears throat> can I ask Sylvester to play Falling in Love with Jesus. You know, and I'm going to ask, I have a cold, so I'm not really going to be the one to do a lot of <laughs> vocalizing after speaking for this long. But, you know, we need to think as we close. As you've heard the message, there's going to be different reactions because everyone has 
their thoughts about love. But again, where's your reference material for love? second there we'll hold off you know you may think you know love you know you know you think you have a definition but maybe you learned today that you didn't have the right definition of love maybe you've learned that you know there was somebody that came 2,000 years ago to model love for you and you know how it is when you see a model they look good in what they're wearing. Makes you want to put it on, right? You know, somebody may say, now I want to try on God's love. I want to see how it looks in my life. I want to put that new definition that I just found out into practice. You haven't been caught up in, in the world's definition of love. It hasn't gotten you anywhere. You realize you're just a free agent. But now you want to make that love connection to the one who can really change and, and make that new definition come alive in your life. If you haven't had that experience and you want that experience, I'm inviting somebody to come down if they feel that's their situation. Because it's, it's, that's when you start off with that falling in love. Falling in love. But that's just the initial step. Because we don't always just fall in love with your spouse you stay in love with your spouse you are in love with your spouse so let's those who have realized that you know God has been showing love but maybe they they were afraid to show love to somebody because of what somebody might think or do you know, you need to realize, that you, as we talk today, you never have to be afraid to show love. Not your love, show God's love. Never be afraid to show God's love, regardless of the situation. Because if you're led by the Holy Spirit, he will not lead you wrong. He will be right there for you. So you've had that love, but you've been hesitant to show it. It's now time to show it. Say, I'm being in love with Jesus. Not just falling, being in love. Let's sing, being in love with Jesus is the best thing I've ever done. And see, if you are in that situation,
situation where you've been afraid, but you're not afraid anymore, I want you to come down if you want to. Being in love with Jesus.